Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the From Busy to Rich podcast. This podcast exists to inspire advisors like you to increase your profitability and the quality of life, but not just for yourself, also for those that you serve. Well, welcome back to the show as usual, Mr. Wes Young. Hello, Wes. Howdy, Andy. And of course, Justin is with us as well. Hello, Justin. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, sir. And we have a guest today, which uh, is going to take up um, the majority of the episode as we get to know him more and hear about his story. Uh, And that is Mr. Silas Parker. Hello, Silas. How are you? Hi, Andy. Good to be with you. Good to be with everybody. Thanks for having me. Well, Silas, I want to actually start with Wes. Um, Wes, we, you know, thousands of advisors, you've trained thousands of advisors. Um, why did you choose Silas to put in front of the many advisors that listen to the show? What about him? Um, do you think is going to help other advisors? Yeah, well, I, I've had the unique privilege of knowing Silas, uh, a long time, more than most advisors that, um, that I know in, in the business, uh, probably, probably close to 17, 18 years now. And, um, and I've, the, the, ben, the unique thing is I've had a front row seat to watching his, uh, development, his evolution, his reinvention multiple times to, to get to a place that, um, I, I believe is just pretty special. He's, he's going to tell us a lot about it, but the, the, the practice that he runs, the organization that, uh, that, that he, he steers and leads and the clients that he serves. And um, most of all, what I love is when you when you hear this, it's very easy to disconnect from like like maybe where some people are that are listening today. They may say, "Well, gosh, that's that's pretty far down the road." Um, you know, I can't I can't get there. And I imagine if he had to deal with what I had to deal with coming in. And so we're, we're gonna we're gonna go a couple places. I know today, Andy. Um, we want to I want to hear all about wh- wh- what things are like today in the in the practice for us, but. But I love going back in time because once you hear kind of what things were like when Silas decided that this was going to be a path he was going to start walking down, I think it just eliminates almost anybody's excuse to uh, to, to progress. So I'm excited about it. Awesome. So Silas, let's start with um, where you are right now. So literally, where are you right now? And then also tell us a bit about your business. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Wes. I'm in Austin, Texas, based out of Austin, Texas. I've been calling Austin, Texas home for, uh, let's say a while, about since 1993, 1994. Um, our, our practice is primarily remote-based, meaning we meet virtually with clients. While we do have offices we go to and we'll meet in person, predominantly it's remote-based at this point. Uh, in regards to our practice design, uh, I, as a financial advisor and fee-based financial planner leading in as a fiduciary, uh, that's the way the majority of our relationships start these days is through a, an introduction, whether through a, another professional, such as a CPA or a referral from an existing client. And we take them through a process. Um, they hire us to build a financial plan and then we help them implement. Um, and so that's the majority of how we operate today. And, um, that process, of course, evolves over time. Um, I could touch on staff if that's something and, you know, support team around me, if that'd be helpful. Or yeah, let's go there have- real quick. How many people are on your team? And like, so example, we've got three junior advisors and four admins and blah, blah, blah. So like who, who, who is team Silas? Yeah. At this point, I've got three different advisors that I work with who are affiliated with our DBA. Um, I've also got three full-time team members that are support staff. Um, and in the process currently of bringing on uh, my first full-time AFA. So we're in that growth scaling mode, but that's exi- 
how the team looks currently compared to what it's about to be. Okay. So Wes, I'm going to throw it to you real quick. You'd mentioned his reinventions. Is that unique to him? Is that what every advisor needs to do because the world ain't what it used to be? Uh, when you mentioned that, why did you use that that phrase? Yeah, I, I think uh, progress and, and growth, we, we say it in Transform all the time, is that while different isn't always better, better is always different. And you cannot have better without different. And one of the unique things about uh, Silas is, is not, not unique is that everybody wants things to be better, but he's willing to do the things necessary to um, the different things to, to kind of push back against the normal that has gotten him where he is in order to embrace new, to get him where he wants to go next. And, and I, we, I talk about this a lot, but I've seen Silas live it is, is he has a diet of that. Like, like it's not a, a new year's resolution for him to change. It, it is a, every week I eat uh, this new for, for breakfast and I'm going to keep eating it for breakfast every day and always evolve into something that's next. And, and I'm willing to try on things. So he has an awesome, or like R and D department, I would call it that uh, that goes well with kind of our general philosophies about what it takes to to be one just just happy in this business is that you need to be evolving and changing and growing um, but reinvention is required it, it's it's uh, it's like our episode on closing time every new beginning comes from some other beginnings end and and Silas is one that is not afraid to end something that is uh, no longer serving him or or no longer serving him as well as what something else might so that that's one of the things that I find when he when I say reinvention, that's the things I think about when I think about Silas's growth. Silas, let me ask you then. Let's go. So we know where you are today. Business is good. You've got team members. Uh, the team is growing structurally. Uh, you can support. I, I would assume a lot of growth with the current team you have, which is exciting, right? Um, let's go way back, and I would like for you to take us to the point where where you started. You know why you got in the business. And then if you could take us from there to when did you have to shift your behavior to say, listen, I can't keep doing this if I really want to become what I want to be. So where'd you start in the business? And then when did you realize, hey, like I'm going to stay in the business, but I got to, what was maybe your first reinvention, if you will? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andy. And uh, you know, I, I would say I came from the career path that guaranteed me success in the financial services industry and I sold pagers. Um, so, uh, and, and hold on for our audience, for our audience, we got maybe some people that don't know what a pager is. Can, can, can you explain what a pager is just for those folks that may be a little young? I'm interested to hear how you explained a pager in 2024. Yeah. Because it's like the color purple is colorblind. I think I want to hear your stylist. Yeah, go ahead. If we got video to go along with this, I know I dated myself. They'd probably think of that isn't like old enough to sell pagers, but uh, but I did. And so, you know, a quick before even that, how did I get into selling pagers? Um, my my parents were uh, um, hippies out of Southern California that moved up to the Ozarks to want a homestead. Okay, and um, I came along. They were very young, and they realized, hey, this homesteading thing is a lot tougher than it looks. And so, my dad joined the RE. We, we did the military shuffle all around. And then when he went to fight the first Gulf War, um, there was a complicated divorce that left me kind of trying to find a way to be safe. And I had to leave home as an wow. emancipated minor at age 15. And I, 
And of course, I, I did the, the, the wisest thing you could do at that time is I went on the road with a rock and roll band as their roadie. And um, so I learned all the things throughout what I should have been in high school years about what not to do in life. And, um, you know, what, eventually I found myself back in Austin. I was working um, just kind of everything from digging ditches to um, uh, mowing lawns and uh, um, uh, doing some construction work. And I mean, just everything that I could to try to find some way to find where am I supposed to be? What's my calling? And one time I found myself working at this company. Um, I, I won't say, state any names, but this company's job was to put little integrated circuits, microchips into these trays, these tubes, if you will, that would be used by big machines to put into the circuit boards that would go like into car stereos or car electronic systems. And I remember that there was this grumble, and, and, and I was definitely in the minority there of English-speaking individuals, and I was kind of the long-haired rock and roll guy who would sit there and just do this all day long, putting them on this machine to inspect. Wow. And if the machine said, hey, man, there's something wrong with this one, you had to fill out a report, file it so they could see where the manufacturing process was creating errors. Right? And so that was my job. And did it well. I remember every day... And ate ramen for lunch because that was what I could afford as a, and that was a great meal was a ramen. Uh, if yeah. Anybody knows. Don't knock it. Don't knock it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, my son was not feeling well the other day. I had to open something. I opened it and smelt it. It took me right back to that job. Every day. But long story short, the, the manufacturers that bought these chips from this company I worked for were upset because their production lines were shutting down because faulty chips were getting through. And they sent like all these high ups into the into this facility where I was, and the managers are walking through, and they don't know the answer. And the answer was the rest of my employees that worked with me, they were just bending the lead back into place because they didn't want to have to go through the energy of filling out the paperwork to show what the real problem was. They were just masking it to get through their job, right? And so when when they stopped at my workstation, and these are executives from a major automobile yeah. company. I won't mention the name. They're like, hey, what's going on here? And I was like, here's here's what's going on. Here's here's why. Here's what I do. And here's how our company is identifying your products in a, in a better way to help make sure that you have less errors. And and the, the executive looked at me and goes, that's exactly what we needed to know. Great. And they're all walking away. And then the plant manager walks up to me. He's like, son, you just saved my butt. Uh, you're in the wrong business. You should be a consultant. <laughs> and I remember thinking that Dave's like, Okay, wow, I'm pretty good at solving problems. And so I tried to find my way into other areas of doing that and working with people and, and in sales was something and uh, that that attracted me. And one of my buddies worked at a company called Pinky's Pagers. And I don't know, they <laughs> they musicians like me. And pagers were these things that you used to dial a number, you put in a number code, it pinks and shows you the number, and then you go to this thing called a payphone that you would put coins into. Yeah. Yeah, you guys have phone banks. You've seen a lot of those recently, right? Oh, my gosh. So, so this had to be, is this early 90s? Uh, yeah, this would have been kind of mid-90s, if you will. Yeah, this, that is peak pager time, my friend. I mean, this is my high school, right? So I would like to describe it. It's like a phone, except for it doesn't make phone calls. And it's like text messaging, except for you only get like 16 digits. Yeah. Right? Uh, so it's it's like the smallest you know, the smallest way of communicating, but also super advanced. So, and you know, when you're like 15, you figured out how you can make it say boobs by putting yeah. in the, the right letters in there, 100%. you know? 
or it was very, very technological. Very, very. Just up real quick here, just to say, when they hired me, they're like, "What do you know about customer service?" Like, people need help. You help them find what they're looking for and show them the best way to get it, and they leave happy. They'll come back. He's like, "You're an offered." So after six months, I was the top guy in the sales company. They gave me a store. It was in one of the roughest parts of Austin at the time. Moving out the pagers, though. Yeah. and I took the small little rundown building and I, I, I turned the window into a drive through so people could drive through and make their pager payments. And eventually they would buy the prepaid cards when we got into the wireless cell phones. But there was always this innovation aspect. And I turned it to the number one cash flow store in the entire company. And so, you know, fast forward 10 years, you know, I'm running the entire sales operation, managing uh, about 140 employees. And then then one of the owners died and that's where I was like, oh man, what am I going to do next? And that's where my, uh, my insurance guy said, well, why don't you come check this out? And what this was, was a uh, agency based insurance company uh, that gave a guy like me the opportunity to interview and come in and prove himself. And, and, and guess what? I came in, I innovated, I became one of the top ones in there. And, and of course I had the privilege at that time of meeting Wes it was a couple of years ahead of me, and um, that's kind of how I got started. So I found myself sitting down at dinner tables trying to help people find the $20 or $30 a month to be able to afford the protections they needed for their family, uh, driving a lot of miles, knocking on a lot of doors, and just trying to figure out what the common denominator was of success in that day of what are the things I need to do to be successful that everybody right. else doesn't want to do. And so that's that's Andy. Kind of a, a long story short. Or well, let, me, let me ask this next part, which is that you know I think that the most people's stage of an advisor in the early stages is very similar, unless you're just given a phenomenal book of business, which is pretty rare. That you have to just grind it out. It is. It is. You have to go out there, hunt it down, hunt it down, hunt it down, kill it, bring it home. And the hunt is pretty ruthless. It's very difficult, and sometimes what you kill is kind of small. <laughs> it's like you're not bringing a lot home. Give me some examples um, and, and maybe cha- just the chapter headings of thinking back to your career of I did this and I pivoted and then I was willing to do this and pivot and this and pivot. Uh, was it hiring? Was it charging for your time and ideas? Like what were the times when you said, hey, I, I need to make this change uh, because what got me here is not going to get me there? What are some of those things? A great question, Andy. Um, it starts with kind of being aware of your situation and looking around you. I, so I looked around me and I saw people who were failing because it's a high turnover uh, in that business. And then I looked at what are the successful ones doing? Well, they're following a process or a formula or getting really good at asking for referrals in the early stages of the type of people that you want to work with, not you know the type of referrals sometimes you get that you're or in the opposite direction to where you want to go from a market or service standpoint. So learn those things. And again, I just tried to do collaborative work with other advisors around me at the time who were had more experience in, in, in certain areas of planning or finances or in certain markets that I wanted to learn to go into. And, and through that process, I learned a lot about what I didn't want to be and who I didn't want to emulate. And then I saw other advisors that, that when I saw how they operated and the way they were working with their clients, I was we saw them that, that they had basically attracted me going, yeah, that's, that's what I see myself be able to do. And so for me, it was a matter of a process of elimination to figure out what was the noise and where were the, the multiplier activities that I could do to be able to get it where I felt I was being called uh, to travel to as a person, as an advisor, and as a business owner. 
Hey, Wes, when you think about bringing on advisors to your team now, I mean, do you consider the sort of tremendous blessing they have that they get to do joint work, but they don't have to learn, hey, I, because I assume people do joint work and they realize I don't want to, I don't want to be like that person. But when they come work with you, they can go, oh, here's our system and here's our program. Because am I right that joint work is, it can be a, you know, you land on that spot, you get to advance, you know, advance five spaces for free. I mean, it can be this sort of hack. Yeah, this cheat code. So, what what do you think about the role of joint work um, as a way to sort of accelerate growth? Yeah, I think it's it's phenomenal uh, because it it does it gives you well, there's a there I mean there is a process that leads to consistent uh, outcomes and both positively and negatively and, and so the the when you get to observe uh, where people are and then go do some work with them. Uh, you get to observe the, I like where this person's at. I like the outcomes, how their, their life is going and they follow the same thing every yeah. time. And so it's like, if you want to make uh, a, a dinner and there's a, a ingredients and a process to cooking it and you know, it produces a nice outcome every time, uh, you just, you just don't fly by the seat of your pants and go, well, I think I'll do it different. I'll think I'll, let me try and reinvent it. No, this is already tastes good. So mm-hmm. why don't I, why don't I just try and do that? And that, that was something, I mean, I remember Silas and I doing a ton of uh, joint work together um, when, in fact, he was a bit of my test kitchen because I was still figuring it out too, you're right? Because I, I was a few years ahead and I was like, and he's like, so what do you do? Why, why do you do it that way? And I'd be like, I don't know. Let me think about why I do it that way. It works, you know? So, yeah. you know, if you don't know what, why, why it's working when it's working, you don't know how to fix it when it's broke. So it was always good because Silas... Uh, asked a lot of questions. And so it would always force me to go like ground certain aspects of, yeah, what, why do we do it that way? And why is that working? And, and and it also helps you sort some stuff out that that's maybe there, but not, not serving anybody well. So Silas, let me ask ask you to fast forward a little bit. Um, What do you feel like if you could pick one or two things in your, in your time, you're out of survival mode. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. I don't have to go back to selling pagers because by then pagers were gone. Um, but what what are some things that you, decisions you made? You said, okay, if I want to get to the next level beyond joint work, you know, I got to make a hire. I got to get my own space. I need to, what, what, what are some things you did that someone who's listening right now can say, you know what? I need to do that. I, I, I have to go take that, that next step. What are some of those things that you've done in your career? Yeah, great question, Andy. And, and just to point out, look, I sold more than pagers. We did wireless phones too. But I, <laughs> you're still in sales mode. You're like, wait, 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 there's more. This is important. When, the day that I was driving back after uh, placing a large order with a business client, I'm sitting at the intersection in Austin, and there's this homeless guy out there holding a sign. And I'm thinking to myself, well, hey, man, the guy looks like he's down. And all of a sudden, he starts reaching for something, and he pulls out his cell phone and takes a call. And, and it was at that moment I said, it's time to switch to a different industry. So going back into the, uh, the, the financial services aspect of the saturated that market, market that's was set. That's a great story, by the way. When you know the market is no longer there and the homeless have moved on to, uh, they've moved up market of you. You're like, okay. Okay. So anyway, when it comes to the business aspect, I mean, you know, I think the, the, what you're reading and the people that you're around are always going to be the biggest catalyst of change. Right. And so, for me, it was a matter of, yeah, coming in and having a part-time staff person that I shared with the, the, the agent who was my agent that kind of referred me into the business. And then evolving to knowing that 
as a business owner, scalability, how am I going to be able to scale my time? What are some of the things that I can hire somebody else to do that uh, they can do well uh, and, and where I can operate my sweet spot? So, you know, Andy, that's just been the evolution of that continually of trying to figure out who are the right people. How do you, how do you pick the best people to be part of the team? What are some of the processes and criteria let, that you can do? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, because this I, I know that you have this. It's intuitive at this point. But there are some people listening right now and they're like, OK, I'm so tired of hearing them tell me to hire someone because it scares me. And I want to know what do I need to know? What are the questions I need to ask? Um, so if you said, hey, you're, if you're only going to do three things when you hire someone, you've got to do these three things. What are those three things if you're going to if you're going to actually bring someone on and do a good job of it? What embrace the fear. I mean, you mentioned it yourself. People get fearful of it. Yeah. Generally, if you can feel that fear. That's that's a good kind of a homing mechanism to know you're in the right spot because comfort can lead to laziness that leads to repeating the same thing. And you're not going to get the growth and, and the evolution that you're looking for as a person or become the person that you want to become if you're just going to look for safe, comfortable, never stretching. So I think first, it's got to be embrace the fear. And then I know it saying that, yes, oh, sure, it sounds great. You said it, but man- Look, we all go through that. Every single one of us as business owners and expanding and looking at growth have had that kind of gut check at some point. And, and I think you just got to embrace it as part of uh, normalizing the new, if you will, of things that happen when you're going to be going through a growth process. Second, yeah. Silas, Silas, I want to stop there for just a second because one of my favorite quotes, and that just you reminded me of it specifically there, is, uh, is a Franklin Roosevelt quote. He says, courage is not the absence of fear. It, it's rather the, uh, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And, and I know we've known each other a long time and talked about these things over and over again. And it's, it's not that there's not fear of that. Hey, this is, this might not work. Right. I, I, and that, cause it might not work. Probably it will because there's established path of people that have done it a whole bunch of times that if you follow it, it just produces those results. But, but anything different, it, 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 there's going to be a little bit of fear there. Encourage is not the absence of fear, but it's the assessment that something is far more important than the fear you're feeling if you want to get where you want to go. So Silas, you, Silas you've, you've, you've said, I'm going to embrace the fear. I'm going to do it afraid. I'm not going to wait till I'm not afraid. I'm going to be afraid and do it anyway. What are some other things that you have done and when it comes to bringing people alongside of you as other advisors or team that you said, you've got to do this if you're going to bring on the right people? What are two more of those things? Well, I think the one is the people you surround yourself by, not only from uh, staff, but also from a mentorship or people that you look up to that you want to emulate. And, you know, Wes said it earlier, I feel like I've been the longest enrollee for Transform University, Transform U for short. You know, even before Transform U was a thing, you know, it's like Wesley got this idea. What do you think about this? Why don't you try that? See how it works, you know? And so I yeah. feel like I got the privilege of, of working with great minds and great leaders that have been able to test ideas and kind of show how they go through their process. So that way I can also emulate that with the team members or the other advisors that I get to yeah. work with to pay it forward. So, so Wes, um, is, Wes, is Silas like your um, grad student that's been on the program for 10 years? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, what was great with Silas is I would just be thinking about things. I hadn't actually tried it yet. And I'd be like, hey, man, you know, if I was, if we approached a meeting like this and said this, and then Silas would go do it and he'd come back because he thought i'd done it before and he was like he's like hey man that really worked i'm like it did, it did. oh wow well oh, sure. that's we're one for we're one for one yeah, yeah it's good. that's awesome i can't 
And when it comes to transform you, I, you know, look, I have my, I encourage anybody who's listening, who's been through it before, I've been through it more than once. So not only did I get to live through the pre-formation transform you, right. uh, but I've actually been able to go through the course two times. And part of that in my mindset was, I know Wes is going to evolve and he's going to continue to find new ways of doing things that will help me go further faster. So, you know, when I look back on how the first time through versus the second time through and kind of audit, auditing the course material, if you will. Uh, it was really great to kind of be able to build on some of the other things I picked up before, but also to see the directions that things can shift in. So I would encourage anybody who's been through Transform You to, to repeat it if it's been a while since you've been through it. And then, of course, if you haven't, um, yeah, do it. It's only going to help you become a better advisor, a better person and grow and learn from it. And that's been true for me and the experience working with Wes and his team. All right. One more then. Give me one more hiring tip. It can be a small one if you want to, more nuanced. But what's another thing that people need to think about if they're going to go find someone to grow and scale their business? Yeah. You know, really think about the position that you're trying to fill and think about the type of person. And that goes into personality type. It goes into how they spend their energy. The different nuances is that if you could be that perfect person, which let's be real, you can't be everything to everybody in every position in your company. But if you think about that particular position and how you want that role to feel, what do you want clients to think about when they engage or whatever that role does in your company, model that. Because again, if you can find a model and think about what you want there, then you can manifest it. And then it makes it a lot easier going through the hiring process to find somebody that fits that as opposed to you know, scrubbing through the 500 plus resumes and applications, looking on past experience. Uh, you know, There's just certain metrics. And I liken this to one of my favorite movies, Moneyball. And if you're all baseball fans, you've seen this. It's a story about how the Oakland A's had to try to compete with all the large, uh, you know, uh, teams out there with huge, massive payroll. Is that how can you go through and find those individuals with the natural skill sets that can translate well into this, even though they may not have the backdrop and uh, work experience in it? So, Andy, I hope Bill's not covered on the three you wanted to get from there. There, yeah, and just everybody go watch Moneyball. I mean, just that's know. right. You, you got to get past. You want to hire well? Watch Moneyball. That's really it. That's it. Right. And why do we want him? He gets on base. All right, go ahead, West. That's right. Yeah. No. I thank. Thanks for that. Side. The size. I. I would like just as you as you think about the the catalysts that that have pushed you. And I know there's there's a ton of little things out there. Some that were for a season, and, and some that are are not only catalysts that got you from where you are to to where you find your practice today. But I, I know you see them as those things that continue to move forward. What, what would be one or two, whatever you want to talk about, that you feel like are those 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 almost permanent things that that you just regularly see move the needle forward for you? You know, that and Wes, you and I talked about this recently, but uh, one of them, and this is near and dear to me right now because I'm living through it, is uh, is I'm going through a book called 10X is Easier Than 2X. Love it. And 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 it's it's really great because it's kind of helped me tie together some of the things in the past of where just kind of looking at we could keep the status quo, but what if we did this different and what kind yeah. of impact that would be? And each time as I look back through those changes, um, you know, you see this multiplier of growth, not only in the way that we're better able to serve our clients, but also the revenue that comes along with it. And and once you start to develop that mindset, it's contagious and it keeps going, and then you see it everywhere. Like, for example, one of my daily readings is going through the New Testament. I was reading today, um, and this is where in Mark, uh, Jesus is going through. He had just kind of put the disciples together. He's in his first village, and, you know, 
he he healed a lot of people and there's this buzz and then he goes out to a solitary place to pray and then the, the disciples come and find him. He's like hey everybody's looking for you. you need to go back to that village and she's like no there's so many other villages let's go you know so i see jesus looking at a 10x opportunity there going right. hey, instead of just being in this one village and getting more market share <laughs> yeah I'm gonna go to all these other villages and, and that's a 10x mindset so once you start to develop that and look at it, then it just permeates through everything that we're doing. And so and I can take an hour, two more hours going through the individual ones that we've done in specific examples. But I think all of us had 10x moments, whether we knew it or not. Yeah. We looked at this quo way of doing things. And then we said, let's, let's try something that scares us and, and, and gives us that uncomfortable feeling at first, but ends up being such a big multiplier in our lives and those we serve. Yeah, Silas, I love that. And I love that book. And and we've mentioned it here before on the podcast. But I think one of the things that it that resonates with me as you as you speak it is that there's a there's a there's a, a big difference between norms and rules, right? And, and that when it comes to envisioning a, a future, most of the time people almost inherit a process for doing that that's incrementally bigger than where they are now. They're like, well. We've worked really hard. We've spent a bunch of time and money and energy to get here. So if we if we if we want to just work a little harder and turn up the volume on all those things, we can get a little bit incrementally better. Um, and that is what it requires to get incrementally better. The problem is nobody likes the life that that leads to because you're already working hard. You're already filling up your day. And so to get incrementally better, you're working even harder and doing less of other things. So that TEDx mindset, because that, that's a that's not a rule to think that way. That's a norm. That's just what everybody else does. What I love about the 10x thinking, and and you certainly embody that, is that that um, if I want to make a a thing not incrementally better, but ten times better, most of what I'm doing right now isn't going to work. And, and Dan Sullivan says this in the book, and I love it. He says the only way to make your present better is by making your future bigger. Uh, going 10x means you're living based on the most intrinsic and exciting future you can imagine. And, and to do that is so separate because people can only, they, we see out of history, we see out of our past experience, and, and it's very difficult to start answering all the how questions um, because that's what we try and do. And that's, and that's good. We eventually, we got we to gotta boil it down to that. But, but you start with where, where what are we going to do? And, and being way out there that's so much bigger and better. And then you can say, okay, so in light of that, most of the stuff I'm doing isn't even going to work anymore. So yeah. we got to throw that out. And we got to add in the stuff that's going to help us get there. And that's why I say, when I talk about seeing you reinvent yourself over and over again, uh, consistency. I mean, that's just a consi- like I said, it's a diet. It's not a vacation for you. It, it is a daily habit that you you work into the rhythm of your life, and, and you do it really well. For some of us, it comes naturally. And I always feel like if I'm doing that, it works. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's individuals uh, that will work with, and you'll have team members. Who are not that they they want to protect the current process they want to protect yeah. the step well and and you know and that can create tension if if not identified as a dynamic within your teams right? and so you know that's the part where hey having a team that can protect a process that you built and like and how it works is awesome for being able to kind of level up each time as you're refining and evolving to better serve your clients and and just find more efficient way, efficient ways of operating. Well, at the same time, though, that energy to find newer and better ways of things can sometimes be uh, it's considered as disabling to those who want to protect the status quo. So 
I love that dynamic though, because of course, uh, borrow less, that's healthy tension, right? Yeah, that's right. So apologies, I could keep going on Wes's, but Andy, I'll turn it back over to you for more questions if you have some. Well, I think it's, uh, we'll wrap with this, which I think it's, um, it's a, maybe it's a nice bow on this. And um, for some people, they're not going to get this because they don't really know what a pager is. But if you know what a pager is, this will land, I believe, which is that, um, you know, at some point you can't just sell more pagers. Like the answer is not, we should sell more pagers. You know, let's, let's double it. Let's cut the cost in half. Like at some point, people just stopped buying pagers because it was like, that was old. It's what, what that is not going to get you where you want to go in your life. Right. You, you cannot say, well, my goal in life is to be known as Silas Parker, the greatest sale, you know, salesman of, of pagers because that's going to change. The market changes. Are you willing to change your behavior, what you talk about? what you lead with from when, from a sales perspective, I think about your store, your cash flow went from pagers to prepaid cards, right? Uh, and you embrace that. And then Wes has been talking about this since episode number one of, you know, don't be blockbuster, right? Embrace that change. But blockbuster should have got pagers if they, if they, that could have helped. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. But, but we have to be willing to say, okay, that's an interesting story about pagers. That's an interesting story about blockbuster. But for you who are working out or driving in your car or wherever you are, what is it for you? What is it for you that you need to stop doing and start doing so that you can survive and thrive in the business? And so, Silas, I appreciate you being an example of someone who's willing to reinvent themselves to, to make the changes necessary. Um, I'm glad you're not selling pagers anymore. I'm glad that you were able to go through Transform University a few times. Uh, and I appreciate your endorsement of that. Um, so we want to thank you for your time. Uh, and Wes, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, no, listen, I love it. Uh, don't be beautifully prepared for a world that no longer exists. Silas, you've got no, uh, danger of that occurring in, in your life, the way you're wired and how you think. So, uh, look forward to connecting again. I'll page you. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be sure to connect, uh, soon. And yeah, thanks for being on the Come on over and we'll watch a blockbuster movie together. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I'll get us a VCR on the, on the way and, and we'll take care of that. Thanks, Silas. Thanks for being a, a part of the program today. Uh, my pleasure. So good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. 